Welcome to episode 256 of Texting, hosted by myself, Justin Vincent, and Jason Roberts. In today's show, Jason's talking to Nathan Hawkins, creator of Conjure, an epic new card game that he's been bringing to market for the past few years. Okay, well, Nathan, uh, thanks for uh, coming on the show today. No worries, Jason. Very happy to be here through Skype. <laughs> so uh, I'm going to just do a quick background for our listeners because I want them to understand the context for this interview. Um, so, Nathan, you've created a card game, a trading card game um, called Conjure. I think what the most similar thing out there in the market right now would be something like Magic the Gathering. Is that is that right? Yeah, that's right. I think Magic the Gathering or Yu-Gi-Oh, um, they're really the uh, pillars of um, the TCG industry. And um, we're a, a, you know, a startup company, a startup product, and uh, that would be the, the closest comparison, definitely. Okay, so the, the reason that you know, I, I was interested in talking to you is um, I'd actually had an idea for creating a game myself. Just Actually, it was just sort of for fun, for... Um, this uh, for these kids. I, um, my wife and I coach a uh, fourth grade math team that my son's on, and I started thinking like, what would be a way to have them do math problems, make it kind of fun? Maybe if we integrate it into some kind of a card game or whatever. And so I kind of had this crazy idea in my head, and I started searching around in the web about trading card games and just just reading about how some of them work. And I think that's how I stumbled across your Kickstarter campaign. Mm. And I well, was just amazed at uh, at the quality of production quality you've uh, you've achieved already. So so what I wanted to do is is just kind of start and have you um, maybe just give us a little background on on what it is and and, and how you got started. Yeah, of course. So oh, uh, Conjure was really an idea. I've probably started formulating the idea about five years ago and really started to get to work on it uh, just over three years ago now. Um, again, um, I was a big uh, computer gamer. I mean, I play you know through Nintendo, through the Xboxes from you know from a young age. Um, I'm 29, so I sort of really grew up on the you know the NES, uh, Super Nintendo, Nintendo 64 sort of generation. Mm-hmm. Um, and with what we were able to do with Conjure, uh, again. I played a little bit of Yu-Gi-Oh, I played a little bit of Pokemon, um, a little bit. I didn't really play Magic at all. Um, and I just found that it was, it was quite amazing how it really builds communities around it and how people get so passionate and so involved in the game. And unlike video games, you never replace video games, but the one thing about trading card games is that you really control so many elements of the game. And I guess that's what really appealed to me. Um, and I think that people get so much more involved in trading card games or are, are passionately involved in them as opposed to computer games where really you've got such, uh, you know, it's such a controlled environment, whereas a trading card game, it's a social network. It's You can go to your game store and you can, um, you know, be have a social group around you. And um, I guess I got into it um, just because I was, I was quite interested in the way that they work. And there's really, when I started, I guess there was really only three uh, popular products and that was your magic uh, pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh. and i guess i looked at those games and even though i had an interest in them they didn't really grab me and that was because i was a, from a computer game background um and so what i thought i could do is I, I thought i could put a different type of spin on it bring something new to it which would really embrace the elements that uh, that takes you from an rpg experience and bring that to a trading card game yes 
borrow certain elements to make the function of the game work. Um, and and really, um, to be honest, um, when I first designed it, um, three, I started designing three years ago, it was nothing like what it is now. It was really a skeleton product. I had way too many, um, way too many, um, too involved with too many mechanics uh, because I had all these big ideas. But really, at the end of the day, I ended up stripping uh, probably 95% of them back to the core elements of what makes us different to your magic Pokemon Yu-Gi-Oh! And, um, and then really base, um, that, that's the base of the game and then you know, further elaborate it from there. Okay, so um, let's 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 if you don't mind, like let's go back in time and start from the beginning because I, I think it's a lot of fun um, to hear about the the initial stages, so the embryonic stages. Yeah. Um, so, where were you when this idea occurred to you, and why do you you know where did it come from? I mean, what what made you really start thinking about it, and and what were your first steps to creating? I mean, were you drawing it on a paper or what? Okay. Well, it's it's a little bit embarrassing. I guess um, when we first started, it was the absolute most primitive stage you can imagine. Um, it actually started with me. Obviously, I, I just, just notepad and pen, you know, putting down some general ideas, concepts. Um, again, I had it about five years ago, really not procrastinated on it, but just let it sit in the back of my mind for a couple of years. And then sort of three years ago, I really, I don't know, I sort of just got motivation to do it and I just got inspiration to just really get out there and give it a shot. And I'm quite big on, um, on you know, you really got to push these things to see if it can develop into anything, you know, rather than, you know, um, have, your, have your regrets. When I first started, I was um, actually cutting out pieces of cardboard because um, I had the mechanics of the game. So I can't know, is this going to work? Do I want to be spending you know a lot of time on it? So I end up cutting out you know small pieces of cardboard, say fifty to hundred of them, um, drawing either stick figures on them or um, right. or completely copyright images of um, you know dragons and knights and everything off the internet and just cutting them out black and white, sticking them on um, cardboard, you know, writing attack numbers down, defense numbers, and then just seeing if the mechanics work. Does my promotion system work? Is it functional? You know, um, and and that's what it really started. It was just me on my lounge room um, <laughs> floor doing this, and it was um, incredibly primitive, incredibly amateur. I'd be incredibly embarrassed if anyone found these cards, but um, that's where it started. So, what was it about Yu-Gi-Oh and Magic that you found not work that didn't work well enough for you that you felt like you there was room to create something else because magic uh the magic gathering um for anyone who doesn't who hasn't played it or seen it is is again like a fantasy sorcery you know creatures and things so it has that feel to it so it, it sounds like you are using sort of the same genre you're obviously in the same genre but your mechanics and things are, are different i mean what 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 did you think was broken or missing about magic well, what what I looked at was rather than looking at okay, Magic is clearly the uh, the industry standard. That is the absolute biggest game, most successful trading card game ever. Um, what I did though was rather than um, looking at it from an internal point of view, I thought we'd look at it from. I'm a bit more um, sort of business mind. I've got a, I'm from a corporate background, so what what I thought I'd do is actually take take look at it from the outside in. Um, if you looked at if you walked into a game store and you found someone playing Yu-Gi-Oh, Magic, and Pokemon, um, little things that I noticed was that okay, if I if I didn't know any different. You actually can't tell the difference between the three because the board itself are very, very similar. You know, it's, it's sort of you've got two rows or three rows of cards and they interact with your opponent. 
Um, other ways is that the, the template of the cards are almost identical. Um, and the other thing was that I guess I, I looked at it and I said, okay, well, if magic's the best at what they do, I can't just go out and make another magic. What I looked at was I said, okay, what makes magic as successful as what it is? But without disrespecting Pokemon or Yu-Gi-Oh, because they're incredibly successful themselves. So you had to identify, okay, why is Pokemon so different to Magic and where does it have its success? And then the same with Yu-Gi-Oh. Now, obviously, uh, Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh have an epic uh, fan following through the TV show, through the through the animation. Um, but when it comes down to the actual gameplay itself, the things that we took away was um, with Pokemon, for example, they had that evolution scale. Well, you start with this nice little cute little um, lizard that turns into this big, still cute, cuddly dragon. And I really liked that side of it. And I thought, well, that was something that Magic didn't have. It didn't have that growth. Um, however, yeah, because because you as the player aren't, you're not like uh, uh, you 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 don't you aren't represented as something, right? You control creatures mm. or spells, right? Whereas Pokemon, you are this thing or whatever you have this one lizard or is that right dragon dragon yes so like um if they'll have a range of different types but they're i think they're called monsters um, okay whereas yeah whereas Yu-Gi-Oh is this egyptian sort of story behind it and it's all about summoning monsters onto the field so if you look at the way that they all work and if you could take the strengths that each one has and then develop a mechanic that can actually make them work together I think you can really sort of feed off the strength of their um, of, of their existing uh, mechanics, but then invent your own mechanics that are completely new and look and feel different. But they have small mechanics from those popular franchises, so that when gamers jump on it the first time, there's something that they feel comfortable with. Right. Um, it, uh, one thing I just want to interject here for our listeners is for for, for at least for the listeners who are unfamiliar with with these games is I, I was kind of myself at least I, I was um, sort of surprised at the scale of the business. I think I think I read in Wikipedia that there are currently about twelve million people who play Magic. Um, hmm. I think Richard Garfield, who created Magic back in uh, I guess it was like nineteen ninety four, he was a um, he was a graduate student or, 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 or a PhD in, in mathematics at um, University of Pennsylvania, I believe. And he, uh, he, he created this game with Wizards of the Coast, which was like this big uh, – well, they were a startup at the time. But um, anyway, they ended up selling Wizards of the Coast, I think, in like 2004 or something like that to Hasbro. And he personally netted $100 million. That's that. so like a four, it's like a four hundred million dollar sale. So for anyone who thinks that like oh this 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 sort of trading card game I've never heard of it. It sounds kind of small or silly. It's like it's actually really really big business. Um, so you know the fact that they sold it for four hundred million or whatever it was back in um, you know two thousand four. I mean now it's it's probably a multi billion dollar um, business. Just just magic. Just that one game. So um, the fact that you're going after this or going after a niche or, or whatever. I mean, there seems like there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of market potential there. I mean, it, mm, absolutely. And it's, it's incredible, particularly in Australia um, where I'm based. Um, it's really grown substantially over the last sort of three to five years. Um, you know, they're talking about growth of, um, you know, between 70 and a hundred plus percent on, um, and they have some major events here that have really fueled that. 
And I guess from seeing the success of that, particularly over the last two years, it's really given me that sort of push to make sure that I, you know, put myself in a position to be successful with this product. And, um, and, and you know, we're incredibly happy with the responses that we've received from both the stores and, and the general public and, you know, the existing gamers. Okay, so I, I want to get into that. I want to get into playtesting and stores and all that kind of stuff. But first, I'd like to dig in a little bit to the uh, the the um, the game mechanics. Um, yes. So, what were the things that you did differently? What did you try? And what are some of your big ideas that you tried and uh, and didn't work? And what did you end up doing? Okay, tell us a little bit. Okay. Take us through that journey a little bit. Yeah, okay. Well, what we were looking at originally, um, because one of the, sometimes when you have an idea about a game, or you, whenever you're inventing or creating something of this scale, it's not about one decision or one idea. It's a cluster of probably 100 to two to 500 ideas. Some ideas will come to you instantly. Some ideas you'll just do subconsciously, and then you don't even realize you've made them. And then some ideas you really sort of procrastinate on, you really um, develop and test and fail and change. Things that we um, – because the fact that it's oh, – oh, 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 Nathan, Nathan, yeah. I just realized. You know what I should do? Let me just interject one, one time real, real quick here and just explain something for, for people who haven't played a trading card game. So I'll, I'll explain it from my perspective, and you can correct me or, yeah, or, or expand on it if I'm not, if I'm not explaining correctly. Because so, I'm new to it as well, so I've just done some reading on it and tried you know, over the okay. last week or two trying to get some understanding. So basically trading card, trading card games work is that you go and buy uh, like a pack of trading cards. It's not like you buy a set like Monopoly or something and, and you just sort out the cards that are there. It's like each player can go buy cards and buy booster packs and buy more, and you don't really know – Usually you don't know what cards are in there and you just kind of t- look for cards that you want. And then so like if you play against somebody, they have their deck of cards and you know, there's usually some limitation on how few or how many of these cards they're allowed to play with. And you're, you know, so each of you have your stack and you have some different mix of cards, different mix of sorceries or monsters yes. or whatever. Yes. And the way it works is that like at least like for instance in Magic is you each have 20 life points and so, like, I attack you with a creature, and I do so much damage to you, or maybe, you know, and if I get you down to zero life, then I win, and vice versa, you get me down to zero, you win. But then I can defend, certain creatures can defend, or I can do spells that reduce damage or increase damage or do all kind of different weird things um, to you. And so, you, 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 you know, and you have different strategies depending on the cards you have. And, and that's basically how it works. I mean, obviously, it's more complicated involved, but that's the essence and I, and so it's not just about like the strategy of like you know of playing your cards against the other person how you're playing them it's like you're, the deck building and sort of the collecting of cards and building like a really powerful deck that has interesting interactions is that is that a decent yeah, explanation I, of it I, I, absolutely absolutely and i think that's really the difference between a trading card game and a video game because the world itself is in a video game is very much controlled and you sort of take your character into it Whereas with a trading card game, yes, you have rules, but the entire deck, the entire game is based on your deck and the cards you play, and you completely customize that 100% to your playing style, and that that's what really gets people in. And really, no two games are generally the same. Great, great. Okay, so I just want to get that through. I sorry, I, I apologize for interrupting you there. That's I, rough. I just want to make sure that people who are listening to this are like, I you know, I have no idea what these guys are talking about. <laughs> so. Um, Okay, so 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 go on. You were you were talking about how the your, the ideas that you had and how they evolved. 
Yes. Well, um, you were talking about ideas that just completely didn't work because a, a lot of the times you're looking at ideas and you, you bring things to the table. And the idea that we had a board is very, very unique to trading card game. And a board is not a new idea. You know, people have been playing chess and checkers for hundreds of years. Um, so the idea of a board, even though it's completely the oldest part of a board game ever invented, it was very new and very fresh and actually quite foreign to trading card gamers. Um, so when they see the board, they almost get a bit um, – they get very surprised by it. And when they see the, tr- the board, they, they sort of say, okay, well, this, is gonna, this game's going to take me forever. It's like Monopoly, isn't it? And it's actually quite a fast-paced game. So that mechanic was really early. I just We always knew we were going to have a board, and that was a, almost a subconscious decision that we were going to have that. Now, the other things that we added to it were completely removed. <laughs> they, we were talking about levels and tiers and um, you know, the idea of doing it a little bit more military with archers and um, swordsmen and, um, and cavalry. Cal- 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 I can't pronounce that. Oh, okay. um, um, and they just didn't work. Like we, we had all these ideas. We, we thought we were going to have um, layers and levels and have it all 3D and have instead of having a um, cards, what we could do is put a little chip and um, place the cards on an electronic um, gamepad so that you never had to calculate points. You can actually do it digitally for you, and then you can hook it up to your iPad. We had all these big, big ideas, but they just didn't work. They would, didn't fit in the mold of a trading card game. Um, there were too many accessories, too many layers, too many complexities, and you, the gamers don't want to sit there with a calculator trying to calculate all the mathematics behind it, um, and it just made – it was way too complicated. So, yes, the board stayed, um, but all those tiers and levels, we had to remove a lot of them and really simplify them so that we're not just targeting your 25- to 45-year-olds. You know, we can open it up down to your 12-year-olds, which is your Pokemon fans, all the way through to your, you know, to your older generation. Now, your, your first version, I t- tell me how that went. So you, you cut out <laughs> your 50 or 100 cardboard <laughs> cards, right, or yeah. whatever, and you wrote your stick figures and your things on them. And so what did you go up to walk up to your buddy and like, hey, let's play my game. And he looks at your cards <laughs> is like, oh, what? I mean, so that, yeah. well, I would like to hear how that went. Yeah, well, that was um, it was quite I actually the designer that I have I have my head design. He does all my designs. He does all my cards, all my boards, everything. Um, his name's Harley. He is the most finical person I've ever met in my life. He's an absolute perfectionist. Everything has to be perfect or he doesn't do it. He was the first person I took it to and he sort of just <laughs> laughed at me. He just yeah, so that was probably before. a mistake, right? He <laughs> probably yeah. should not well, have been the first person. <laughs> can, can I tell you, I did something else that was quite stupid. I actually took – when I did my first presentation to a store, because I, I don't like delaying things, and I think that people sit on things for too long. I think, let's just try it. What's the worst that can happen? You know, I'm, yeah. I'm not scared of failure. So when, when I went to a store, I actually went to a store when I did my first presentation. I went to the biggest store in Victoria – and I had no cards, I had no boards, I had no graphics. All I had was black and white images, which I'd completely copyrighted. Um, I had a board that I actually drew up with a pencil and a ruler. And I can't actually draw straight lines. I had to get my wife to do it. So I drew a grid on a piece of paper that was A2, which I cut with scissors down to A3. Um, and I had these cards that I, and I went to them and I explained my concept and my design. And um, and fortunately, I'm from, a, as I said, from a corporate background, so I'm used to doing those sort of things. So I, I sort of was able to use my s- skill set of communication and sales to explain to them what I was doing. But they, I think, at the end of the meeting, they had to have laughed at me. You know, I just had, I had nothing. I just had this piece of paper with gridded lines that were crooked. 
I had these images that were clearly copyright, um, but I was able to explain to them the mechanics of a game that I thought would work. And because they're into the industry, they could see the potential, but I don't think they took me that seriously. And then when I came the next time with the real deal, I think um, I got I got a quite a shocked reaction. But well, you, well, you know, you figure from their perspective. I mean, they probably have people walking in and t- and pitching their mm. game ideas all the time, you know, mm. or or just or even casual players like, oh, I'm creating my own game because everybody's. I think in the game world or trading card game, people create card games just like people who build try their try their um, hand at building video games and the 99% of them are just stupid and they never mm-hmm. get past like a couple of days of work so they're probably like okay here's the latest yahoo walking in here with his stupid idea mm-hmm. you know but then of course every once in a while one of those yahoos turns in to be the real deal and it actually isn't it's just a very rough cut you know mm-hmm. idea so that's that's well, really funny. They, so, how long was it uh, a period of time? So, you walk you know, from the time that you walked in with the the rough cut prototype to something that was actually designed and looked nice. Okay. Well, um, I was actually halfway through the design anyway. Um, we were. Well, I was probably. I was, I was. This is probably two and a half years into it. So, I've really worked on the mechanics because it was all. You can have all the fanciest graphics in the world, but people look at the graphics and two seconds they say, yep, that's good enough, and then they go into the gameplay. So the first two years was all about, okay, how much is this going to cost? Where are we going to get our artwork from? You know, where, uh, how are we going to create this? Okay, what's the me- – and then after that, it was a year on just the mechanics – testing with our friends, testing with, okay, playing against myself, you know, trying to work out how it was going to work, how it's different. Okay, let's go back and let's learn a little bit more about this game and this game and this game and make sure we're not copying anything. We, we're not imitating, we're originating. Um, and we really spent a lot of time on that. We probably went to see the first store at the two-year mark um, and it was a bit premature because and two, two months later, I had all the designs done. But I just personally couldn't wait to go and see them. And I didn't tell my designer that because he wouldn't have let me do it. But <laughs> I, I didn't tell him. And I called him on my way out and I said, guess what I've done? I've just gone. And he goes, oh, you're kidding me. And, and he, he still he actually still hasn't forgiven me about it. He still reminds <laughs> me about it all the time. Because um, I actually uh-huh. saw the two biggest stores in Melbourne that day. And the appointments went really well. Like, they're, they're signed up. They're going to be distributing Conja. Um, but it, oh, I, I probably did jump the gun doing it, but I just I, I just had to do it. And I'm, I'm one of those people that if I'm doing something, I, I, I'm, I'm obsessive and I have to do it and I have to put everything I've got into it. And I can't actually move on with my life or onto the next thing until I finished it. So I was so focused on the stores, but I had so much development to do. And I found myself so focused on this. I said, that's it. I have to go and see them. Once I see them, even if they tell me I'm terrible, at least I can walk away and then keep developing. I, I, I remove this writer's block from my head. So, um, yeah, that was really two years into it. And then two years, six months, we had our designs. We had our boards. We were, we were looking professional and we were able to have that wow factor. And did they have that reaction? Were they really impressed? Yeah. I think um, when I went to the, sec- the second store that I went to, um, I was actually filming for a TV show called um, New Games Plus. And when the owner was there, and the, when I did the second presentation, the owner wasn't there. So the owner only saw me at the primitive stages. And then he saw me when I was filming on the TV show, and he, he's just jaw dropped, and he sort of stopped walking. And he went, oh, wow. So you, so you were real. You weren't joking. And I said, oh, no, we weren't. <laughs> um, and this, this is what it really looks like. And he was quite shocked. That's really cool. I, that, that's uh, so Let's. Um. And I also want. I want to hear a little about some of the game mechanics too. So you said you tried some things. I mean, tell me about the first 
tell me about some of the things that actually the the you know you said you strip stuff out. I mean, what were the the innovation the innovations that stayed that were really that you that you think are really good or really interesting? Yeah, absolutely. Well, the the key thing was um number one is the board. Now we can't um I know people that aren't in the aren't played these games before would just say oh, it's a board. It's, all games have a board, but the board itself is such a unique change to this industry they it's just so different and fresh as i said um when you look at those three games pokemon Yu-Gi-Oh, and magic if you didn't know what they were they look identical because the way the cards lay out are the same having a board in the middle is completely different um we have a five tier unrestricted evolution scheme and how that works is that there is five tiers that you evolve your character so your character starts off as a novice then uh, promotes to Apprentice, Master, Titan, and Legendary. And the idea is that you start with this quite small little sort of cute character and it evolves and it grows. Where Pokemon uh, Pokemon have a two to three tier system um, and they very much are restricted in the fact that this one character can only turn into this character who turns into this character. Where our game, it's any infant knight, can, uh, no, no, novice knight, can turn into any apprentice knight, can turn into any master knight. Because what that does, it opens up the gameplay. If your one card can only link to this other one card and that one card happens to be at the bottom of your deck, then you're stuck and it's a really dull, boring game. However, if you open up the possibilities and open up the mechanics and you don't restrict the player, it means you have a fast-playing, action-packed game which ebbs and flows. It goes back and forth and it's not... A once you very rarely get a one-sided match. Um, other mechanics that we have is with the board. It goes okay. Well, if we've got a board, we have to introduce certain mechanics like okay, what's the movement? What's the attack range? These sort of functions are very, very different to the trading card game, where it's basically you have a row of cards and they fight each other. Well, no, they start at other ends of the board. They have a sequence of movements that they can move, and then how far can they attack? And their attack range is different. And these are the sort of mechanics that we started really early in the piece. We had it really year one. And um, even though we stripped things back, they're really the core elements that we've kept. There was a really interesting article by a guy named, a guy named Mark Rosewater. And he's like uh, one of the uh, designers at uh, Magic the Gathering. I guess that what? Well, that uh, Wizards of the Coast who make Magic the Gathering. And he writes a lot about the creation, game creation and all the things that they think about and that go into it. And, and uh, he wrote this one uh, article called uh, 10 Things That Every Game Must Have. And uh, it was actually uh, it was like a it was actually a presentation they gave to his daughter's sixth grade class, I think it was. And um, he, he said, all right, you know, they, they, you know, I don't know if it was like, talk about what you do, you know, bring your dad to work kind of thing or something. And he, mm-hmm. uh, he's, but it would turn out to it turned out to be a really good article because he just it made him really think about what a game is and what makes games interesting. And he had some, you know, there's some obvious things in there. Like number one, it needs a goal. Like what's the, you know, are you to defeat somebody or, you know, break down the life points or you know, you know whatever it is and has rules and things like that. But there's a couple of key um, pieces in there that people don't always think about, but which are. Um, can really be important to make a game fun for for everyone who's playing it. And like one of them is called a catch-up feature. Um, so if someone falls behind, they just don't get trounced upon for the rest of the game and dragged along in misery. You know, like that happens in Monopoly. Yes, yes. Like yeah. half hour to an hour just getting 
beat over the head. <laughs> Whereas I, I remember reading years ago, there's an article in Wired about the game Settlers of Catan, which is a German mm-hmm. game. And, and I remember in that article, they were comparing it to Monopoly, saying how much better it was for all these different reasons. And one of it was that if you fall behind, there was a way to catch up. And that kept people in the game because as long as the players have a perception that they can catch up, then it's mm. fun for them, right? Yes. I mean, do you have anything like a catch-up feature? Yeah, well, how it works, um, very similar to well, – I was talking about what we've learned from the different um, types. And we talk about um, – I've sort of elaborated a little bit on Pokemon. The one real core element that we took from Magic, and we just learned so much from Magic, was that they are incredibly famous for their ma- the amount of combinations that they have and the way that cards interact with each other. It's not just about having a spell and a monster effect. That monster effect or spirit effect is what we call it, uh, will then link to three or four cards in the deck. And then if you happen to get that card or you can you can manipulate your deck in a way so that you can get more spirits on the field, um, there's a no- and what we do is then you have to take that. You say, okay, well, in the angel type, for example, um, because they're all supportive and all about, um, about supporting their team and it's all teamwork, that's their internal theme, they're quite good at getting spirits on the field. Um, so they naturally will have a way of... Um, of, of coming back or turning the tide. Um, with the other types, it's a quite challenging because you have to get that in their type, but it also has to be consistent to the theme of what the type is. So if you have a demon theme, you can't have the same comeback. You can't just manipulate the same comeback feature as the angels because it doesn't fit. So we're spending a lot of time on testing individual cards and having individual themes and subtypes within types so that it just means that you can get those one or two cards, link it to three or four cards in your deck and really be able to defend yourself and keep the gameplay going and keep it flowing. Um, this is something that didn't come naturally to us. Um, when we first invented, uh, when we first started testing it, it was very much whoever got the first upper hand really just took over and stormed their opponents. And this is something that's really been added in in the last six months. And I've got to say, um, it's really the fans. It's really, when I took it to the market, we didn't have that. The fans have actually jumped on board. They generate a passion towards the product uh, and the game itself. And what's happened is that they go, you know what, I really like this, but I really could do with this and it can do with that. So you take them aside and you do game testing with them. You send them lists of the cards and you say, okay, where are the subtypes? Where is the depth in this type? Um, And it's in that depth that that solution is really solved. Um, The more links you have, the more ways you have of manipulating your deck, manipulating your types, I find that that's a way of solving that. Um, and then it, it, it just comes down to game testing, Jason. Well, how did you go about game testing? I mean, was it just a five or ten of your close friends that you used for the first year? Or how, I mean, you know, how, how many different testers did you use and how did you, mm. I don't know, go about doing that? Well, I'm really conscious of um, imitating. I'm really conscious because I think that that's, that's why I never really – I purposely stayed away from Magic as far as I could because as soon as you learn how to play Magic and then you go to make a card game, you're subconsciously going to take 75% of what you've learned, and that's just human nature. So um, when I started doing testing, when I did the development, when I did the graphic design, when I did all those things, I did them with no one had the people that I did it with was a group of people that never played trading card games before because I wanted it to be different. I want to look different. I want to feel different. Because you, you felt like those people were going to have, have the same effect as you did, right? They'd be like, exactly. well, magic does it this way. You should do it like yeah. magic. So they'd be constantly trying to pull it towards magic is what you're thinking. Mm. 
Exactly right. Exactly right. So what that was my uh, method of going about it. So when I took it to the stores, immediately they could say, oh, well, I haven't heard of that before. That's new. Where did that come from? And, you know, it was very different. Now that we're at the point where the rule book is final, now we're just, we're just fine-tuning individual cards. That's what the playtesting we're at the moment. So this is when I get the heavy gamers in. This is when I get, okay, you've been playing Magic for the last 10 years. You've been playing Yu-Gi-Oh for five years. You've been playing Pokemon for five years. Let's all come together. Let's review this as a serious um, beta testing and let's really analyze this game. Um, that's when I thought you'd bring in those guys because those guys are merciless. You know, they don't take, they're, they're incredibly focused. They know the game's back to front. But at the initial stages, I didn't have anyone that it, even my, um, like my cards look different. The images are much bigger and brighter. That's because it was designed by someone who had never seen a trading card game before. So it's right. immediately different. I think that's a clever idea. I mean, that's how I've I've tended to do things myself. I, I I don't always like to look at the existing solutions because I feel like I'll end up just kind of duplicating somebody else. I'll end up you know. Mm. It's sometimes more interesting to solve the problem yourself and and make it your own, which is uh, which is really cool. It's interesting you said that. Um, who, well, how many people were playtesting it for you? How I mean, uh, how, how, over what period of time was this happening? Uh, this is probably over about a year to year and a half period. Um, I was really, I really spent the first six months living in isolation. Um, I was so ashamed of it that I didn't want to actually bring it to anyone. Um, I really wanted to just cr- crunch it out by myself. Um, I don't even think I spoke to my wife about it. I was sort of sitting at home doing it at home. My wife's, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, nothing. <laughs> I'm just playing with something. Leave me alone. Oh yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I've <laughs> I've done that too. For my wife's like, what are you working on? No, nothing. Nothing. Just nothing. you know, it's. Yeah. yeah so that's well, interesting. So you're so you so you're sort of madly cutting out cardboard pieces mm. and she's like, What are you doing? Don't tell me it's not nothing. Yeah. Tell your well she's watching T V from because my routine is like, I'm obsessive about work. I, I work from the second I wake up, then I finish work at five o'clock, I have dinner and I have time with my kids and I when I put them to bed, I do bath time, put them to bed, see my wife during that time and then um, the kids go to bed at eight o'clock. I get to work at 8, 30, 9 o'clock, and I work through to sort of midnight to 1 o'clock every night. Um, that's a routine I've always had, um, and that's just because of, I've been in corporate. I've had really busy jobs, and then as my workload, as you work through the ranks, your workload becomes smaller, so I've got this time, but I'm used to working, so I just cram it into these projects, and this is obviously more than just a project. I'm about 5,000 hours in. Um, anyway, so I'm going off point, but um, at the first six months, I was very much cutting out the cardboard, sticking the things on. My wife's watching TV. I'm on the floor in the lounge room doing it. She's like, what are you doing? What, what are you doing? I said, I'm not doing anything. Just I'm all right. I'm just occupying myself. Um, and then sort of three to four months in, she's saying <laughs> she, she got, rolls her eyes and walks out of the room. She's like, whatever, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, she's got these little baby dragons and stick figures and knights and thinking, okay, um, this is quite strange. But um, uh, yeah, so um, that went on for a few months. Then I sort of had to cough up and say, listen, this is what I'm doing. Um, this is what it is. I don't think it's going to do anything. I'm just doing it to keep myself busy. Um, and then sort of three, month, two, three months later than that, I start bringing my friends over. And I, I never brought more than three to four people over at a time. I just, I had to sit there because they're so new to it. I couldn't explain it to them as a group. Plus, all my friends are hopeless. They just start drinking alcohol or they get distracted or they, you know, they go off topic or they start talking about the movies or something. Um, so I brought three or four of them over at one time, spoken through the mechanics and said, all right, now you play it without me, without me doing anything and just make it entertaining. 
So they're playing each other, they're playing, and then I just watch them and I watch, and then they start making up their own rules and I sort of listen and take notes. And it really went on for a couple of months and I, I got different groups of people, no more than four at a time. Sometimes I only had two people. Um, and I just got fresh so would this ideas. Be this, fresh this would be, would you have them only play one time or would sometimes you invite the same people back like a month later to play again with a second go at it or, or what? No, no. The, the group of people I had, I really only let them play once. Um, okay. I got them to play for maybe an hour or two and then I, then I, I stopped. And I did that okay. several times at different groups of people from different demographic, different backgrounds. But the one thing consistent was that they'd never played trading card games before. Mm-hmm. Um, and that really got me to prepare because these guys had no idea, you know, they're, they're, they're just completely different. And the, the way they went about it, it just gave me ideas. I said, Oh, well that was completely hopeless, but I could make that work. And oh, that was fun, but I don't have that. Why don't I have that? I need to have that. So those sort of things, um, it just meant that every time I did it, I had 30 fresh ideas come at me every time and I found now- it worked well. What did you say to them? Did you tell them, look, I want you to come over to my place and play this game <laughs> I created? And they were like, I'm sorry, what? I mean, how, how did that how <laughs> yeah. conversations go? Uh, really awkwardly. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was, I had to, I called them all individually because I could speak. I figured that if I speak to them individually, I can get them on side. If I speak to them as a group, they'll laugh at me as a group and it's harder to turn them around, especially when they start sure. joking inwardly. Um, so I spoke yeah. to them all individually and I never really told them who they were coming to see. Um, I sort of said, oh, yeah, I'll have a couple of friends over. Just just come over and we'll, we'll just play it through. And I always had something to do afterwards because I figured that if they come over, we play test the game, and then an hour later, okay, I'm finished, I want to do something else. I had something else. Oh, let's go watch a movie. Let's go play a video game or something. Just because I didn't want to sit there and have to constantly defend what I was doing. Um, so mm-hmm. that was the way I went about it. And then they sort of came back to me like a week later. I said, what, what, what did we do again? You know, why were we there again? What, what are you doing with it? Oh, no, it's nothing. It's something I'm playing with. Or I'm helping a friend out. A friend is trying to do this thing. And I'm, you know, mm-hmm. you sort of just pop them off. <laughs> I have mm. this friend who's trying to create a card game. That's yeah, crazy. I did lots of that. I used to blame my brother. I used to say, oh, yeah, you're my little brother. Yeah, he's got this stupid idea, you know. I'm just, I'm just trying to clean it up for him, just trying to help him out, you know, teach him a little bit about business. And, yeah, and then that uh-huh. one really got me to the point where that got me through that period. And now now they're seeing my name on the internet and on Facebook and got the website, so I have to explain it for real now and say, I oh, know I was to own up to it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it, it, it was fun at the time. My, my wife was really the – and my designer, Harley, were the two that only really knew the um, sort of method behind the madness. Um, and we're all sort of laughing at how we got to this point because we, we, we it, I've got to say the last 12 months has just been incredible. We've, um, we've had such a fantastic response from our fans and now our, our beta testing has been done by volunteers, 100% volunteers. We've got a group of really good sort of six guys who we call the Conjure Pros and um, they're going through every individual card. We had one guy, a um, gentleman by the name of Roger, who spent in a three-week period spent 120 hours on the rule book. And he did that as a hundred percent a volunteer. Wow! So no, this just, this this, you know, this this is um. So this isn't your designer Harley. This is one of the no no. This your, is your once we've taken it. Yeah, once we've taken it to Kickstarter. Once we've taken it to the stores. We put the website up. We've done some promotional stuff. I um I started going. I got involved with an organization called Computer Games Bootcamp, um, which is all about um getting students into the gaming industry and getting them you know teaching about qualifications. They're tied into a, a major university here. So I went to one of their demos one one of their days and I set up a little stall and I people came and I interacted with them. 
and we just built fans and fans kept coming back to us, kept contacting us. I did about three of them and then a TV show, New Game Plus was there who saw it and said, oh, wow, this is pretty cool. Um, come on the TV show. So we did the TV show and then from that, we've sort of generated a really cool core group of fans um, and some of them are just so enthusiastic about it that they're just throwing their time at us, which we're so grateful for. Yeah, that's, that's a, it, so how many fans do you have now? How many people, beta testers, are beyond the six pros? Uh, beyond the six, well, what we've done recently, we've done some deck building tournaments. So we did one in the city and we did one in, um, in, sort of a, in the suburbs. And what happened was we had about 30 to 40 people turn up for the first one because it was in the city. And the second one, we had about 20 people. And what we did was that we said, okay, let's give you an hour. Let's give you all the different decks, all the different types because we've got eight types, uh, ten types in Conjure, but we're testing eight. Um, and um, just, just to give you a summary so I don't talk too much gibberish, uh, there's Beast, Warrior, Knight. They're very generic. Warrior, Knight, uh, Dragon, Vehicle, uh, Knight, Demon, Angel, Light. Um, you know, so they're the types. So I won't, I won't bog you down with that sort of stuff. Um, so what happened was I gave them a sample deck that I made and I said, okay, just play against each other. Let's learn the game, learn the game. They tested it for an hour. They tested all the different decks. I said, all right, now I want you to go and make your own deck. And I said, okay, which type did you like the most? And they had a, it was, I was amazed. Everyone liked a different type. You know, I thought everyone would just go for dragons or everyone would just go for demons. But they all went for different types. And I said, all right, now you pick your deck. I want you to get 30 cards, this many infants. Uh, tell them how to build a functional deck. Um, and then, okay, here's your spell cards. Here's your counter cards. Pick which ones you want. And they spent two hours building their decks. They were so competitive and so interested in reading every single card. Then they had a tournament. And the winner got a prize, and the winner got some signed dragon cards. So um, what happened with that was that it generated so much momentum because whether they won or lost, they went, oh, this worked really well, but I could have done this. And then it gets them emotionally involved into the RPG side of it. They get involved in making their deck. They get involved in the game. And that's really the fuel that we want to sort of – to the, the, the ammunition to fuel Conjure. Um, and we've done two of those and had really good success. From that, we sort of gauge some people are incredibly interested and they get in contact with us straight away and keep in contact with us. And then we reward them. You know, we I've sent play demo kits out and they take it to their friends and they do like a conjure day and they bring their friends over and they teach them how to play. And I've got to say that the response has been amazing. We're so happy with, um, you know, the fans that we've got. And sorry, I didn't even answer your question. Uh, we've already got 120 registered um, uh uh, fans on our site, so they're pre-registered with us, um, mm-hmm. and uh, we've probably got I don't know, there's 500 likes on Facebook, but you can take that however you like. Um, but I'd say you would have between 100 to 200 fans set up already. Um, one thing you, you you mentioned was deck building, and I, I'm sure there's a lot of our listeners right now who don't know what that means. So uh, they show up to a tournament. You have, I guess, a bunch of cards and decks or something. You're telling them, go build your own deck. I mean, what, what are they doing exactly? Are you, are they, does yep. everybody get a random set of cards and they start trading with one another or what? Oh, no, what happens is that I obviously pre-make certain decks so they can learn the game and test the game out. Then when they've learned the mechanics and they've picked the type that, they, you know, that most suits their style, I've got a massive pile of sort of 3,000 cards and they basically get – it's a card pool. And I say, okay, which type do you want? Okay, you want the demons. Okay, here's the pile of demons. Here's 
500 demon cards. They then pick out the cards that they like. Then I say, okay, I recommend you have about seven spell cards. So here's this pile of spells. There's a thousand spells there. They pick the ones they want. Here's some counter cards, equip cards, um, and they pick them all out. And then they make their deck of 30 to 40 cards. And I say, okay, let me have a look. Let's see if it, it'll, if it's functional. And if it's functional, let's play test it. Let's see if it works. Then they'll play it. They'll find errors. Things don't work. They can then go back to the card pool, trade out cards, make their deck as strong as they can, and everyone does that, and then we have a tournament and to see who's got the best, who, who wins the tournament. Now, I, I think I remember hearing that when Richard Garfield created um, Magic, he, he talked about the importance of keeping the game short because it's a card game. Yes. It's not, say, a game of risk or something that drags on for two hours. And I yes. think he shot for 20 minutes, give or take. Is that, is that the ballpark of how long Conjure games last, or, uh, or are they longer? T- t- to be honest, um, when we first started, they were actually getting done in five minutes, and it was way too fast. And it was surprising yeah. because when you see a board, you think, oh, it's Monopoly or chess. It's going to take me 45 minutes or three hours. Um, so what we had to do was develop the mechanics further to just to, um, to give that, as you said, the comeback feature, give that other player that extra chance that they don't get the lucky draw. Um, and we're really f- going for about 15 minutes. Um, because we like to do best of three, um, I felt that 20 minutes was probably a touch too long for us. Um, okay. And as we add layers of depth to the strategy of the game as the game develops, um, I think we will probably get to that 20-minute mark. But I think particularly at the start, when you're trying to convert people across, you want it to be simple. You want it to be free-flowing. You want it to be action-packed um, and not necessarily go ju- ju- the duration to go on for too long. So that's we're looking at 15 minutes at the minute, but it does it does vary. The average is 15. Well, you know, it kind of reminds me of uh, of, go- of playing golf. So it's like when you're new to golf and and you get out and you're like, okay, I'm going to play nine holes or 18 holes, mm. and you and you get to the first hole and you're really excited. You're like, okay, I'm going to do great. And then you have a couple bad shots and you get a really bad score on your first mm. hole or two, and you almost want to quit. But now you got to you're out in the course. You got to complete the nine or 18 yes. holes, right? And mm, that's why yes. it's always sometimes fun to play those kind of games where it's like. You know, I, I can't remember what's called, like match play or whatever. So it's like I would play against you for that hole, and one of us would win, and then we'd start scratch the next one, right? So yeah, it's like yeah. each each one each hole is its own game. There's no a residual, you know, a, a thing that's just dragging you down and making you upset because you know you got that double or triple bogey, and and mm. it doesn't matter how well you do because you screwed it up. So like if you if you played lots of short games, you know they have a bad game, they screw stuff up. Doesn't matter. They learn, get a new game. Now yes. I get a new game and they can learn from what, you know, it, it is, I imagine that probably plays into it, right? You get to constantly fr- a fresh start. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It just means that they, they don't have that carryover and they're not sort of penalized just because they're learning the game. Um, and it just, uh, particularly with, with our market that we're trying to attract, we don't want to exclude the, with magic, it's a fantastic game, but your Pokemon fans who are just entering high school, who are a massive, massive part of the industry, it's too complicated for them. So you really have to sort of pick your middle, your middle range and try and open up so you're appealing to both markets. Um, and I really feel that 15 minutes is, is a really good time for us at the moment. Yeah, you know, in, 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 in the quest to build this little math trading card game that I've been playing with, um, mm-hmm. and uh, again, it's just sort of something I'm doing for fun that I think might, yeah. might be useful for getting the kids uh, to improve some of their skills. Um, mm-hmm. I um I was reading lots of articles about magic and trying to understand and 
you know, I have to say it is really hard to understand. I mean, mm. I have been re I've read so many articles and tutorials about all the different types and interactions and things. And mm. they start, well, these are cycles or these are this or that. And I'm like, well, okay, what's the difference between a set and a block? Or wait, what's a cycle again? <laughs> wait, I don't know, you know. And it's just, it's, I think one of the problems is um, with magic, I just, with the problems is, I mean, I, I think one of the dangers of, of a game like Magic is they keep making it more and more complex Correct. to keep the existing players interested and challenged, hmm. right? Like, we have a new deck, have new mechanics, we introduce all these new things, but the problem is it gets more and more complicated for new people, which hmm. is interesting because in the industry that I'm from and most of our listeners are from in the software world, that happens. Like, people start out with a very simple uh, mm. you know, piece of software or website or web application and they feel like they have to keep adding and adding and adding because mm. people like want new features, new features and then you end up with Microsoft Word or something you know, this overly complicated behemoth and new people are like, well, I can't even use this thing it's like a, mm. it's a monstrosity right? And, and, then, and then you open yourself up for the new competitors who have some new simple sleek solution that yeah it's only 15% of the features or, or less mm. but it's so clean and simple that all this you have this whole new demographic that said you know what we're going to go for that right we don't mm. want word over um, this big monstrosity and i think that sounds very similar to what you're doing here with magic well if you ever okay. see the magic rule book the real rule book it's it's you know it's a, it's a bible basically to read um <laughs> what we what we did was um i i took a different approach to it because when you if you, if you ever look at a book and you go oh god this is lord of the rings look how thick this book is and you have that feel to it um, our book is it's not so much about how many pages long it is. The first line you read is 10 simple rules. So mm-hmm. basically the core ba- – because we've got three different tiers to our gameplay. The core – to learn the game, you learn the novice version of the game. It's 10 rules. That's all it is. Then when you learn the apprentice level, which will be the tournament level, we basically add two to four rules to the 10 rules. That's it. Um, so we try to just get to the point of okay, yes, it's yes, you have to read it, yes, yes, which I know that um, <laughs> some people are opposed to reading and you know learning that they'd rather just play it and learn as they go. Um, so by having that there, we just feel that just saying it's just ten rules. That's all it is. Here's the ten rules, and you can play, and we can just alleviate that um, that point, you know, that 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 fear factor of taking on a new game. The other thing that um, I feel that we have it, that Magic has a bit of an issue with is I don't know if you ever heard oh it's big big in the States. It's called Friday Night Magic. And that is the the epicenter of gaming for um, for anyone into magic. And the best of the best the best of the best go there. If you want to compete in that, you have to invest a lot of money and a lot of time to even place or even stand more than 10 minutes against those guys because they've put thousands of dollars in and years of their lives into this deck. Um, with our game, we're really putting it on that you can buy your starter deck, you can buy a couple of booster packs, and you can be competitive. Yes, someone that spent years built working on their deck is going to be better, but you're at least going to be competitive and you're not going to be sort of shamed, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. When did when did you feel like you first had it? Like, what was the first time where some you watched a, you, you you watched a play test and you weren't like in anguish because of all the things that you felt went wrong? I mean, when how, mm. what point do you go? Ah, you know what? I think we got it. I mean, yeah, there are things we proved, but this this is this is what I pictured. Like, this is what I want. Mm. Well, I think it was when we did our first demo at um, Computer Games Bootcamp. I went there. Um, it was actually it was actually on my birthday, seventh of December. Um, we went there, and this was the first time I'd actually done it just open with the public. 
So I've done it with the stores. I've done it with their, their, their number one gamer and stuff, but it's very manipulated. Like I, you know, I was teaching them. They're trying, you know, it was very much a corporate discussion or a business discussion. This time I actually just set up a table. I set up the cards. I set up the, ta- you know, the boards and everything, and the people just came in. And when I saw them, they, they played the game, they tested it out, and actually stayed. I ran out of boards, and I didn't have a big enough table because more people wanted to come over and play. But the people that were playing, I had to say, listen, I'm sorry, man. You guys are going to have to move. Um, and I had to sort of move people along so I knew people could test out the game. And then I sort of stopped, right. and I thought, well, this is actually going really well. And particularly when we did our first deck-building tournament, we started – I said I said to everyone, listen, we're going to be there at 1 o'clock. We're going to do deck building. Just come as you can. Just see how you go. I got there at 10.30. People were already there. Um, I thought, oh, wow, okay. Um, so people were already here. I didn't have any time to set up or anything, so I just got into it. And I didn't leave till 9.30 that night, you know, and they still wanted to play. And um, I think wow. when you get that reaction from the general public who have no affiliation, they've got no reason to like the game. It's just it's 100% genuine. Uh, that's when I thought, okay, I think this is going to be something and, you know, it needs my full attention and it's, it's, it, I haven't wasted my time getting to this point. That's, re- that's, that's really, really cool. So I, I, I'd like to talk a little bit about uh, the, the, the financial side. So now I imagine that you're working a full-time job or something this, this past yes. few years while you've been building it, right? So this is just something you've been doing in the evenings? Uh, yes, that's right. Um, I basically do a lot of times uh, in the evenings. I dedicate most of my weekends to it. Again, I've got that routine where um, the second I wake up, I go to work. And I'm not repeating. I don't want to repeat myself. I'm bore you, Jason. Um, but um, I sort of finish work at five. I always do three to four hours every night minimum um, unless I get a roll on and then I, I do silly hours. But I do that every night without fail. And um, it's just a routine that I've always been in. And when my profession got to a point where it didn't demand that time from me, um, I had to substitute it with something. And Conjure wasn't the first thing I did. I did a few other things. But when I got onto Conjure and I said, you know, I've got that idea. I've never actually run with it. I'm going to run with it now. Um, And then the momentum that was generated from just doing the activity, um, I I sort of couldn't stop. And then it's just, it's like something that just started driving itself. So, okay. So, yeah. So you're, so you're able to do it at night, but, the one of the things that's I, I would imagine would be really expensive is the artwork. So, yes. yeah, and it's not like you have like twenty cards or something like these aren't Monopoly cards. I mean, these things, nah. uh, if they're anything like Magic or Yu Gi Oh or whatever, every card or almost every card is going to have a unique uh, image on it, and these things are usually really intricate and and, and, and you know really. Beautiful, mm. actually. I mean, a lot of times people get pulled into these games. They look at these pictures and they're like, "Oh, these are so. This art is so cool." So, first, I like ask you is like, how how did you get the money to pay for the art to get done? Um, and and secondly, then I want to get a discussion about the artists and everything like that. Okay. Well, uh, we use basically a range of different artists. Um, and, and that's you can really see that we've used a range of different styles as well. You know, the majority is, you know, your high-quality 2D. We have included a little bit of 3D stuff for here and there as well. Um, and there are a lot of different styles. Um, to be honest, this is probably the area we made the most amount of errors. Um, you know, we did a lot of things from, um, you know, we, we hire an artist 
or um, a period in time. We um, buy existing artwork that they've done that suits what we're looking at. We uh, take a stock image. We spend a lot of time putting backgrounds and altering it and, you know, working on it. We did a little bit of that. Um, there really was a, a cluster of different ideas because I'd never done it before. So I just thought, okay, how am I going to go about this? And I just went and did it and probably spent triple the amount that we should have done. Um so the way that I, the what I've learned from it, and probably if anyone's like yourself or anyone that walking into this industry, um, or have an idea like this, if I if I had to suggest how I'm going to do it, because we when this game comes out in um, April May, um, I'm going to have to start the next series because it takes so long to do. So I have to start the next series maybe in July after my second release. Um, and what we're going to do is we're actually going to hire three to six artists full-time for a three-month period um, and just have them on KPIs of minimum pushing out artwork. We just give them what our requirements are. I think that's where we're going to go with um, the artists that we used, because we used from all over the world, we used places like Freelancer, um, which is a great website to get different artists. Um, they just vary so much. Um, I just felt that there was – we didn't get that consistency. And then the other problem you have is that we had some images that were just completely copywritten. Like we had images from Lord of the Rings. We had images from all these, you know, this completely stolen from World of Warcraft. And then you've got to filter that. So it's really hard to um, – we wasted so much on, um, on art that we just couldn't use. So what you're saying is that you would hire an artist off a freelancer, for instance, to do mm. – one or more pieces of artwork, and then he they would turn in art that was actually stolen from somewhere else. Uh, sometimes they did, yeah. Uh, not well, I'm not going to say consistently. I uh, probably five, maybe five percent of the time. Um, so it's incredibly hard to um, then be able to filter that and know which which is copyright, which isn't. Um, it, you can establish that over time when you you see the consistencies in the artwork and the art styles, and you can see, okay, this guy's done all of these. But then some of them was just fan art. Like there's one scene which is completely taken from Lord of the Rings. It's beautiful artwork, and I, I really like it. But it's Gan- it's got Gandalf, Gan- Gandalf, I think his name is, um, from Lord of the Rings, and I can't mm-hmm. use it. So even the, even though I've paid for it and it was made for me, um, I can't use it because it's from that show. I, I don't know legally if I can or not because I paid for it, but I just it doesn't fit with what I'm trying to do. So it it was incredibly hard to do, um, and that's why it, that's really set me back almost a year doing that, going back and forth. Um, and my designer, fortunately, was very good at picking that sort of stuff. Very good at altering existing artwork. Um, you know, sometimes they just supply you. Sometimes it's really cheap just to get a, a character design. So they said, just give me a 3D character and do the evolution scale. And like they did, um, like a werewolf, and they did like a pup, and they did all the way through to this massive epic you know, big werewolf. Um, and then my designer, who um, was a good friend of mine who d- does a lot of the work for free, will then take that artwork and then add layers of texture to it, add the graphics behind it, make it really come alive. And um, that was a really good way to um, save a lot of money um, because to get that whole thing made on scratch by scratch would have cost, you know, five times what we end up paying for it. So how much would you pay for some of these artists? I mean, is this like... $20, $500 for a piece of art? I mean, what, what are we talking about? What's the range? Uh, well, what, I think it's really important that you um, you really set your bar really early and you just be honest with the artist. You say, listen, this is my budget. I'm not looking at getting one art because if I want one image done, I'll pay you your $500 for it because you know that's the only opportunity. The thing you've got to remember is that um, they, a lot of the artists um, are, aren't in full-time employment. They're trying to forge a living out of their art 
and they're happy to, you know, to invest their time. We worked with a couple of local artists who, who very much um, volunteered it for, you know, minimum rates. You know, we're talking, you know, your twenty to thirty dollar marks for incredible art, um, with the idea of the potential being that if Conjure is a hit, they know that they will get more work, paying better. Um, and um, and I was pretty open about that. I sort of said, you know, I'm really open to this. Um, it's it's a startup company. We don't have as many funds as like a Magic does, um, so we're keen to get some art developed. Can you help us out? We will pay you, um, you know, a minimum rate. Uh, so you know, sometimes we're paying um, twenty dollars an image. Sometimes we're paying fifty dollars an image, um, and sometimes we'll get some artists that just say, listen, I've already made these images here. You can have them. I'm not doing anything with them at the moment. Um, but if you're successful, please come back and see me. And you know, we we definitely look to look after those sort of people so how did you lose a year i mean what i mean i i mean i could understand having a few disappointing artists here and there but a year is a lot of time i mean Mm. what was the what were the big screw-ups i mean how did you lose that much time well to put it in perspective we had 700 images made um and um the whole card release of conjure is 550 cards but i was not going to walk into it underprepared um the first release is only 250 250 cards then it's 150, then 150, and that wraps up the Origin series. Um, and sorry, I should explain. The Conjure first series is called Origins. Mm-hmm. Um, so the first release is 250 cards. The second release is going to be promoted as Here Comes the Dragons or the Dragons Are Coming, and that will be the second release. Then the third release will include this year for the first series. But I wanted to be 100% prepared. I just said, listen, this is a massive project. I want every card designed. I want all the artwork done so I can focus on the gameplay. Um, because the gameplay is everything. Like people see the artwork, they either disregard it and say this is a crap game. But if they like it, they acknowledge it and then they get into the game. So it only lasts a couple of seconds. Um, so, yeah, we got 700 images made and it took, it took us a year um, to filter, to work with artists, to go back and forth, to communicate. Um, you know, we're dealing with a site like Freelancer with people from all over the world. And, um, and then you had, you know, um, trust issues where you have, um, you know, issues with um, copyright, issues where people um, have multiple accounts and um, they're, they're saying that, okay, this is me, and then they'll lodge, play, uh, they'll, uh, sorry, they'll um, ask again for more work under a different account. Then we sort of see that the art's the same. Um, so there was a range of different things like that that we had to deal with, and um, it was quite frustrating to be honest. Where you're trying to be, you're trying to do the right thing by artists. You're trying to be respectful. You're trying to give them an opportunity and be open and honest with them as well. Um, and some people were fantastic, and you know, a handful were um, terrible to work with. That's yeah, that's certainly unfortunate. I mean, did you find that it was sort of a you know, where in the world they were located? Was it certain third world countries that people were tending to get over on you? Um, or did it have no relation? It was just like you were just as likely to run into a scammer from Australia as you were from like Kazakhstan or, you know, or, or, yeah. or you know, Uzbekistan or something. Yeah, definitely. It didn't, it didn't, um, it didn't vary at all. Um, we couldn't, you couldn't even isolate because you can have your search and say, let's just say you have all the, I just pick a country, I'll say Australian just so I'm not biased. Um, all the Australians, we got, um, I've really, um, we know that they're, you know, always doing fraudulent things. So we, we're not dealing with Australia, we're dealing with India and America and Pakistan or whatever. Um, but we didn't find that. It was, it was, it just really varied from place to place. We, so that made it even harder to really identify it. Um, so what one good thing about freelance is that there is a history, and you do see, you know, the previous comments. But that doesn't mean that they're good at it. That just means that they've provided something to their, um, to the supplier 
that is of a good quality, it doesn't actually mean that that supplier's gone to check to see if they haven't stolen it from somewhere else. So right. um, yeah, it, it was it was um, a big issue for us, and again, it took us a year to do the artwork. Um, however, it, it wasn't like a negative thing; it was a good thing because it slowed me down. It stopped me from going to the stores, so it meant I could keep fine tuning the game. So that when I eventually went to the stores, even though it was completely prematurely, um, I had a fine tuned product. Right. So. You know, but you found that the best way to do it then is just to get a, like you said, was it three to six, something like a half dozen artists yeah. that you really trust, pay them full time, and then just have them just, that's what they do all day, every day. And you get mm. consistent work output and, and quality and, and all that. Is that that's, yeah. is that's the plan? Yeah, I think so. And we'll cap it at, say, three months worth of work. You imagine mm-hmm. if someone's pumping out sort of three images a day, two to three images a day, You've got three to six of them over a three-month period. You've got a massive cluster of art. And what then happens is that you have more consistency. You can then in- inject your themes into the artwork and have more control over it. One thing that um, Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh! are amazing at, and that is that it doesn't matter what you're looking at. You can see any Pokemon character and you say, yep, that's the Pokemon art style. I know that. That's Pokemon. I know that's the Yu-Gi-Oh! style. With Magic, it's a range of artists. With us, it's a range of artists. I still think we will use a range of artists, but we will clean it so it gets closer. We get more consistency. Right, right. So, you know, just doing sort of the back of a napkin calculation, I mean, if you had 700 cards created, pieces of art, and you're, mm. let's say you're charging $50, you know, I mean, you're, you're talking, what, that's 35 grand or so? So maybe it's a little less than that, so 20, 35 grand. I mean, is this just all coming out of your pocket, or do you have any investors or friends and family throwing money into this? Uh, no, we've basically done it all on our own. Um, we've we've haven't really gone down the investor path yet. Um, to be honest, the figures are probably a touch lower than that because, um, again, not all of it has been sort of that custom made. Sometimes you can get um sort of seven or eight pieces because remembering with the conversion rates for overseas, you get it for substantially cheaper. Where they they might supply me with oh I did these fifty images uh, three years ago I've done nothing with it I'm no longer in the industry but these images are fantastic but they they will basically give it to me for a minimum price with the mm-hmm. idea that I may be able to rejuvenate their career have Conjure be successful so you, right. you take you throw that sort of into the equation and it brings that figure right down you know we probably spend half of that figure okay so yes yeah, so if you're spending like 15 grand or something like that over a period of what a year or two i mean i can see that seems you know something you could do 35 grand since that's pretty rich Mm. um uh now what are you what are you looking at in terms of um your distribution and uh marketing costs and things like that i mean how are you going to go about doing like that i mean so coming from the web world the software you know world i mean you know people listen to the show there are you know there's pretty well understood ways of how do you get stuff out and promote Mm -hmm. it on the either if it's a mobile app or on the web and stuff i mean it's always difficult it's always a challenge to get get people Mm -hmm. using your stuff but i'd be but for you you're going to have to go I would imagine either A, you have to get some kind of distributor middleman who is going to bring it into all the stores or outlets, or you yourself are going to be driving around the country <laughs> initially, yeah. store to store to store to store, which yeah. I know a lot, of, a lot of companies started that way. You go back and you read about these entrepreneurs you know, for the past hundred years, and that's what they did. They went store to mm. store to store, and, and that's how they got it out there. I mean, what, what's sort of your plan? 
Well, I've basically done the store to stores in the state of Victoria, so sort of ranging from like a two to three hour radius to drive wise around where I live. Um, and, and how seen, many stores is that? How many stores is that? Uh, twenty five. Twenty five stores. Okay, so that would give you a good initial, I guess, start, right? I guess. Oh, sorry, but sorry to answer your question. So I was just we were talking about the analogy of somebody driving around doing that. Um, so yeah. we do do that, and I don't. What what will happen is um, I, what I envision happening is that um, we because conjure is because conjure looks the way it does. It's been lucky enough to generate a little bit of attention from the biggest distributors in Australia. Um, there's basically three major distributors, um, and again, um, this is quite premature because we're in discussions at the moment. But um, two of them, uh, we've met with one of them. I'm actually meeting with one this afternoon, um, and uh, they've both expressed an interest in becoming a distributor. Um, the third one has also expressed an interest. Um, they're a little bit smaller though. So I think what would end up happening is, um, depending on how our negotiations go, uh, we would look to um, set up a distributor agreement because, as, as you said, um, when it comes to marketing and advertising, and I know you guys do a lot of, uh, with software companies and apps and that sort of stuff, um, we will have an app to um, help calculate the game and you know we'll develop those sides of it. But in the immediate future, the greatest advertising and the greatest promotion that we can do is in the physical store themselves. If we can put it in the physical stores, put up your pull-up banners and your advertising and everything there, that's the best form of advertising that we can get. It also means that in order for any store to stock a product, they have to buy a certain amount of stock, which then gives us a cash injection. We can then take that cash injection because, again, I'm in a full-time employment. I'm not looking at this to make money. I'm, I'm looking at it as, as I'm looking at it more from the creation aspect. Um, mm -hmm. I then take that injection from the purchasing of stock throw it through to your marketing, develop your app, look at so other forms of software. Can we develop a software version of this game? How much does that cost? Is that $10,000, $100,000 or a million dollars? You know, I'm, I'm not sure. Um, and, we, and we push that side of it. But to answer your question, I think having a presence in the stores and having the support of the stores is absolutely critical. And I'm very confident in the fact of doing that only because I've spoken to, I think it's 60 stores nationally. And as soon as you say you're a trading card game, new trading card game from Australia, and then they see the artwork, they, they know we're not doing stick figures, they see it's a high quality product, we immediately get their interest because we're very different. Um, and there aren't, there, this hasn't been done in Australia before, but there hasn't been a big trading card game in a very long time. You know, the pillars of the, of the industry have been there for so long now. So if we bring something of the same quality, of the same standard, I know that we'll immediately get attention. As opposed to like an app where there's new app, new five thousand apps every day. <laughs> right now, are you going to do things like hold like a present, like you you would go to a store and hold an event or a mini yes. tournament where you like demo it and teach people how to do it and do things like that? Do you have like things like that planned? Yeah, absolutely. We're already booked in. Um, one of the the reason why I, I've put a twelve month plan in place. And we're four months into the 12-month plan, and everything's going really well. I'm really happy with where we're at. The 12-month plan consists of our release in April, May, um, and that will be um, – I'll, I'll talk to you a little bit later about our deck building uh, – sorry, our, our registered number one tournament because it's really exciting, something really different about us, about this. Mm -hmm. I'll talk about that later. Um, so we have the release. We have the registered number one tournament. Then at Computer Games Bootcamp where they have something like 15 – they have um, about two to 3,000 students at, um, we're going to release the Dragons there. That's in uh, at the start of July. Mm -hmm. So we'll do the Dragon release there, which will be the second, the second release. 
And then, which is really exciting, a third release is going to be at PAX, P-A-X 2014. Um, PAX is a massive, massive event where they have forty to 50,000 people at. And it, they had it last year for the first time in Melbourne, and it was incredible. It was a massive, massive success. They basically couldn't fit people in the door. They sold out in a couple of hours. It's a massive day. And the trading card game industry blew up at, at the end of PAX. So PAX will be incredibly large. I think they're doubling in size this year, and it's only their second year. And wow. I've already booked a double booth with um, a double size booth with um, four playing tables. So we'll have a large presence there. We'll also be a sponsor. We'll talk to them about possibly being the sponsor for the lanyard so that when everyone walks in the door, they'll have a conjure lanyard around their neck, so 50,000 of them. Um, and we'll have a large presence right next door to Magic and Yu-Gi-Oh! and Pokemon, um, but we're Australian-made. And I think that being new, being Australian, um, but not so much Australian, just being a new trading card game that looks as good as it looks and plays ideally as well as it plays, that will have the, that will really be our big launch, and then we can start the second series, and that, that's our twelve month plan. Wow! So, well, I'm a, I'm a, you know, you're getting you're getting this far, you know, they say as under your own scene. Like this is this is pretty impressive, um, and and so. I mean, what's the cost for one of these uh, going to this, uh, having this double booth at PAX? I mean, I, you know, a, a previous company I had, I mean, we would go and, you know, have a table booth at, at a, at a, at a, at a um, trade show or whatever. I mean, that's going to be pretty expensive. It'd be $10,000, $20,000 or, or whatever. I mean, how, how much is it going to cost to do something like that? I've done a few different demos in a few different industries um, just for different things, jobs that I've had. And I was actually surprised how cheap it was. I've, I've actually got a double size um, uh, booth, so it's double the size of what a normal booth is. I've got double the amount of tables for playtesting, um, and I think it's three and a half thousand. Um, oh, so it's wow. incredible. It's it's incredible. I was I was I was expecting about eight grand for what it was, um, and when I heard three, I thought, wow, that's that's very very good. Um, and then to do the lanyard sponsor is very expensive. It's about eleven thousand. But that's what when I talk about the cash injection from the first distribution, that's what it goes towards. Um, right. And, um, and for fifty thousand people to walk around with a conjure lanyard on the day, I think will be um, incredibly successful. Um, just to give you an idea, PAX last year they had almost every game store in the state, and every one of them sold out of cards. They didn't bring enough, and they, that goes for three days, and they just didn't have enough of cards. They just sold out. So that's our whole 12-month plan is about building to PAX and ha- making sure our final release is at PAX so that the whole series will be there. We'll take all our fans with us, and um, it w- it'll be incredibly important to the success and future of Conjure. Is there any chance that you could be a speaker to talk about the creation of a new card game? Yeah, of course. Um, I've done a little um, interview with um, Computer Games Bootcamp for their their major event in July, which is our second release. I'm more than happy to do all that sort of stuff. Um, I've done... Um, quite comfortable with public speaking and you know, I've done a lot in my in my corporate career um, and to be honest I, I get a lot of joy out of um, and I'm sure you this will apply to you Jason um, one thing I didn't estimate when I went to the stu- to see the students at Monash one thing I got so much enjoyment from was actually listening to them talk about what they want to do with their lives and talk about their careers and I talk, uh, first thing I asked say, what are you studying what are you looking at doing um, you know w- w- what's the plan going forward you know how to, what are you interested in 
and I just love listening to them. I can just listen to them for hours talk about what what they what they um, want to do. Um, when I did my first demo tournament, I had these five three kids in year eleven, uh, the second last year of high school, and they were they liked the game so much they made their own video clip. They said, "Do you mind if we do a bit of filming?" I said, yeah, no worries, go for it. And then I started chatting to them on Facebook and talking to them about you know their careers and what they want to do and what they're studying. And I get I really have a passion for that, and I really I, I surprised myself at how much I enjoy doing that and um, I'd cherish uh, the opportunity to do that sort of stuff and I wouldn't I'd even you know do it for free you know if I'm going to be there I might as well do it I'm more than happy to do that sort of stuff and share my sort of corporate background because I'm I'm very much um, without all arrogance aside I'm being successful in my cor- corporate career um, and I and yeah, I'm more than happy to um, just listen to what people have and say, and um, you know, share my experience. Yeah, that's yeah, that's that is always a, a fun thing to do, and uh, yeah, I can I can understand that. What, so let me ask you about the financing, though, too. I mean, so h- how much are you going to sell a set of cards for, and what kind oh, of a how does that compare to the cost? I mean, what's kind of the margin do you think is you're going to okay. have in something like this? Of course. Well, what I thought was before originally with the design, I always wanted it to be next door to Magic and Yu-Gi-Oh. I don't want to be cheaper and I don't want to be more expensive. Um, mm-hmm. So no matter what it cost me, that was my selling price. I didn't, it didn't matter. Like, um, and at the end of the day, whatever it cost me to make the card now, in my second set, because my quantities will be substantially larger, I've got the option of going overseas, I've got all the other options, making a profit on the first set isn't very important to me. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's all about being successful. So the first set, the starter decks range between $20 to $25, which is the same as Magic, and mm-hmm. booster decks, um, which is just smaller packs, your 10 to 15 cards, will vary between sort of 5 to $7, depending on our distributor arrangement. Um, and the boards themselves, we have what we call starter kits. Now, I want these absolutely as cheap as possible. They just have a cheap version of the board, you know, paper-based version, and the and the stones and everything that you need to play the game. We just want to sell them for four to five dollars each. The idea is we just sell them at cost price because that 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 starter kit allows you to play the game. We have a premium version of the board that'll be twenty to thirty dollars, um, but you don't need that. You just have the starter kit, which is a premium cheap a cheap version of the game, um, which just allows you to play because you know the the quality is in the cards. The cards are you know as good a quality as anything on the market. So we um, that that's what we're looking at profit wise. Um, you know, if we print it in China, we get the cards in. We can get a deck of cards for, I don't know, say forty cents. If we do it in Australia, it costs us probably two to three dollars. Uh, distributor and um, distributor and uh, retail expenses, we generally get forty percent of the R of the of the RRP. Um, what's the I- so, what's that? What the RIP? What is uh, it? Mean? Sorry, the recommended retail price. Um, okay. So sorry, um, it's just an abbreviation. Um, so if you sell it for say, let's say use the minimum figures, you sell it for twenty dollars, you're generally getting eight dollars towards us. We're generally producing and supplying it for say between two to four dollars if we do it in Australia, and mm-hmm. that's a rough guide of the figures. Um, mm-hmm. Again, I'm. I, if you're making 10% profit, I'm not fussed because I know that I'll be able to get it 10 times cheaper when I do my larger run. The fact that right. we can make the product successful is is where we're at. And my advice to anyone that's looking at doing this is that you can't be focused on turning over an income. You can't be focused on the profit. You have to be focused on being success successful with 
success comes the profit. So, you know, I, I'm, I own an, own an okay living doing my full-time day job. Um, so I'm not sitting here waiting for the conjure stuff so I can keep existing. Anything we make from conjure gets put straight back into conjure so that it can keep developing and keep being a successful product. So what about the Kickstarter campaign? Um, what's, uh, it looked like to me that you had a campaign and then you canceled it and you started a new campaign. Mm. Um, so you know, what, what was the story with that and, and, and how, yep. is, how is it going now? Well, Kickstarter will bring through, um, like it's got about, oh, at the moment we're recording this, um, I'm sure by the time it goes out it'll be finished, but it'll vary between say five to 10,000 I imagine. The idea of Kickstarter, and we were never planning on using Kickstarter, um, I'd actually never heard of it um, before I, while I was doing Conjure. Um, Kickstarter, I guess we're very different where we are launching at this time and if Kickstarter wasn't around, we're still launching. Kickstarter was very much a promotion um, aspect of us. It got our name out there, it got people looking at the product, um, got people from all over the world looking at the product. So, you know, we've had pledges from everywhere, from America to Italy to Rome to France to, um, you know, all over the world we've had. Um, and we're, we're incredibly lucky with uh, with what's come in. Um, it was more a promotion um, idea. It wasn't so much to fund the game, but the one really cool aspect is that we can cut out all the stores, cut out the distributors, distributors and give it directly to the fans that jump on board at the start for 50% of what the recommended retail price would be. So they get that reward. Yes, we get a, a very small cash injection into the system, which is nice, um, but we're very different to a Kickstarter. Kickstarter is there for people that can't fund the product and they need it, and it's a fantastic system. I, I, I can't recommend Kickstarter higher and any higher than what highly enough, um, but we are not your typical Kickstarter. We were always going to launch, um, but it's just allowed, it's basically a, a good promotional exercise for us for good publicity. Hence, we've you know been in touch with your fine um, podcast in in um, LA. Yeah. So how? So why did you uh, why did you start one and stop it and 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 restart? Yeah. What happened yeah. there? Uh, to be completely honest, um, I set the target at 15,000 and we were never going to get there. Um, the issue mm. that we're having with um, Kickstarter is um, as, as highly as I recommend it, um, we're on page eight. <laughs> so okay. in order to find us, you have to search pages and pages and pages to find us. Um, unfortunately, that's that's how the system works and that's where we are. So uh, what I, I was talking to the fans um, uh, through the messaging system on Kickstarter and I said to them, I said, listen, no matter what, Kickstarter was a promotional exercise we're looking to launch. I know you guys are looking at purchasing the product and you guys most likely purchase the product from the stores. However, you're not getting that reward. You're not getting that 50% off. You know, you're not getting the reward from jumping on early. So they rec uh, and I said I wasn't comfortable putting my bank details out there for people to put it in because then it, it is a bit of a, a dodgy aspect to it. Like I you know, I had the chance to take that money and then just take the 5000 and and not not reward them. So Kickstarter gives them a blanket of security, um, which I like, which I think is really good for them. Um, so I relaunched it with a minimum figure of $2,000 to say, look, I know I'll get that. And then just to make sure that those fans get their reward and have the security of Kickstarter and the professionalism of Kickstarter, as opposed to just putting it through to our bank accounts. Right, right. Does that make um, sense? Yeah, it does. I want to check with the audio. Justin, are you there? Justin, hello, Justin. Well, he's been put, uh, put Justin to sleep. <laughs> yes, yeah, because uh, the um, the audio is, is getting a little rough. I want to make sure it's just. I'm hoping it's just me and not um, not the recording. 
no, he's, I guess he, I guess he walked away. Well, I was going to ask you if the audio, because the audio got a little rough. I want to make sure that it was okay. Is the audio still okay? Okay. Mine sounds all right. Okay. Okay. All right, good. Um, So... I, I guess I'll just finish this last question. I mean, what does your wife think about all this now? Because, you know, it all started with <laughs> you on the on the floor cutting out these weird drawing stick figures on these weird little pieces of cardboard. I mean, how does she feel about it now? Uh, I think she's still um, – I think it, between my wife and my designer, um, who, again, is very new to the industry, they're, just, they're quite puzzled at the momentum that it's been able to generate, the publicity that it's been able to generate, the fact that we're speaking to you guys in LA. We've got pledges from all over the world coming in. Um, and just, just the response on Facebook, the amount of people that are donating their time, and I can't say how humbling it is when you've got someone who just put in 120 hours over a three-week period to help you with your rule book. I've got this group of guys that I've never met before, don't know me from a bar of soap until we um, started Conjure, and they're putting in hours every day with feedback on testing. And uh, when I tell my wife this, she told me we just it's it's we just laugh because it's quite amazing. Um, I had to sign my first autograph um two weeks ago when um the guy won the tournament. He asked me if I could sign the cards, and we sort of <laughs> laughed because I didn't have a texter to sign the cards with because they're black and I needed a white one, and it just looked terrible. So I'm gonna have to send him something, but um. And even, even little things like I wrote, I've always been into creative writing and I, 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 something that I'm interested in and I don't think I'm very good at it, but I like it. So I wrote the story and the law behind Conjure and even the law itself has had such a good response. People actually putting in a little bit extra on Kickstarter just so that they can get a published signed copy from me. And it's just quite humbling. Um, you know, I'd never signed my autograph before unless I was putting a home loan documents or bank documents in. Um, right. So it was it was quite um, – it's, it's just quite humbling and it's, it still hasn't quite sunk in. And even when, um, when, Pete, when I say I'm going to have a deck building tournament – they um they send a message through to Conjure saying, um, is the creator Nathan Hawkins going to be there? And I'm responding, and the message is coming through to me. You know, we're not this big organisation, um, and I'm responding <laughs> saying, yeah, 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 I'll be there, mate. You know, come and introduce yourself. I'm running the event. So, oh, wow, okay, that's fantastic. So it, it, it's it's quite surreal, and I sort of have a joke with the wife about it. We talk about um how it's got to this point and the the response that it's getting, and the, you know this name that it's building for itself. And it, it it's very surreal. That's 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 really great. It's really exciting. So, um, when is the next big event? The launch you said is in April, May, but and you're going to have. Uh, you're gonna, what's the first event after that? Yes. Um, well, one one thing that's um, again we talk about um, how we're uh, quite substantially different to you know the existing um, pillars of um, trading card games. Um, one thing that we are looking at doing is really cool aspect is that we want to really make it personable. We personalize it so that. Um, at the moment, you can buy your card, you make your deck, but that deck is the deck. You know, there's nothing that really grabs you, Jason Roberts, and this is, this is you, this is yours. Um, so what we're going to do is anyone that pre-registers with us, um, on anyone that registers with us, we actually make a card for them. So we have their name printed on it, Jason Roberts. They then let me know who their favorite character is or favorite type, and I'll put their character on there. Um, so they get a card made. It's a professional card. Um, and then at the bottom, they have their stats. Like if they won tournaments, we'll put that on there. If they're a Kickstarter, we put that on there. If they helped us out with the development, we put that on there. And then we give that to them as that's their card. And on that card, it has a registration number that's unique to them. So you're Jason Roberts. You're registered 00674. The person that wins the very first – no, it's not the first tournament, but the person that wins the register number one tournament 
will be player register 00001 and they keep the number forever and right. people go, oh wow that's really cool um and the idea is the method behind the madness is that any new game people generally watch it from the sidelines and they say okay is that cool is it successful okay i'm going to jump on board now this is a way of getting people on board immediately rewarding them because their numbers are going to be much lower than everyone else. Um, and, you know, if they can win that tournament, they get player number one. And if they rank in the tournament, they get a really high number. And then 10 years on, if conjures this big success right next to those other games, you can have your card that says that, you know, you were, you were part of the start of it. That's very cool. Yeah, that is very cool. Now, you said that, that, that um, the, I can't remember the name of it, that big tournament, the Rig One or something yes, tournament? Yes, uh, the player, player registration number one tournament. So the winner, so what we'll do is that we'll, we'll do, we really want to support the stores, have lots of tournaments, lots of competition, lots of prizes, really play that, get in there as much as we can to really fuel Conjure. And then what will happen is that just before the second release in um, in July, in May, in June, at the end of June, we're going to have a register number one tournament. So the winner of that tournament becomes player, you know, as I said, number one, and that will right. be a really big tournament in Melbourne. We'll have some regionals, um, interstate, see if we can bring people in, um, and um, and yeah, just make it, you know, that big event. Then. When the Dragons come out, we'll have a tournament just before packs, just before that release to say, okay, this will be the, um, you know, they'll get a title and that will be on their cards and, you know, it might be, you know, Lord of Dragons, you know, something like that, you know, so that they're the best player, they're ranked number one for that set of cards. And then at PAX, we'll have promotional events at PAX and we'll have cards that can only be accessed at PAX and, um, you know, and that will give you an advantage when you play other tournaments and really want to fund that and then start to do regionals and national championships. But at the same time, you can't get ahead of yourself. You know, we're still a startup company, a startup game. And, um, but that's where we need to be. That's part of our 12 month plan. That's really cool. Well, Nathan, I really uh, want to thank you for coming on the show and, uh, and telling us every, well, we pretty much dug into all the details and, you know, I really appreciate your time because this is a very interesting um, story. I mean, we've, we talked to a lot of entrepreneurs, but this is a, a whole different type of, uh, of a thing. So it's, it's been, it's been really fun talking. No, fantastic. Um, thank you very much for having me. Um, I'd just like to say that everyone, all the fans and everyone that's got involved with us, we, the game itself has developed so much because of the the time and effort that these guys put in, guys and girls put in. And if it wasn't for these people putting in those huge amount of hours that they're doing as we speak, I'm getting emails coming through from them playtesting and giving feedback on the wording and the dynamic of each individual card. It's that that gives the polish that makes Conjure um, stand next to, you know, the top tier games. You know, we, we're, we're not this big organization. It's the fact that these people put the time and effort um, and we're looking to reward those people. Um, anyone wants to pre-register with us, our website's www.conjuretcg.com. They can pre-register with us, and it just means that you're registered on the system. You get a special unique spell card that's unique to you. You also, you know, put you down on that list to get your custom card made. And um, yeah, thank you very much for having me. I'm very um, honoured to be on the show, and um, you know, to get um, some attention from you guys over in LA is um, is amazing. And I'm um, pinching myself the fact that I'm doing these sort of things. And, yeah, thank you very much for having me. Well, hey, you're, you're welcome, and thank you for coming on. So, uh, well, best of luck to you, and we will um, 
put uh, links to your Kickstarter um, and Facebook pages uh, in the, the show notes, and hopefully we can uh, maybe help boost up your uh, your donations and your, your crowdfunding. Thank you very much. All right, that's a wrap. We're out.